You're listening to the So What Podcast, where we discuss biblical and theological topics to ask the obvious question. I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by Matt O'Reilly, Travis Buchanan, and Lanier Wood. The So What Podcast is recorded in partnership with the University of Mobile, a Christ-centered academic community providing liberal arts and professional programs on campus and at a distance. You can find out more information at www.umobile.edu. If you enjoy the show, you can help the podcast grow by rating and reviewing it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Verse 5. There are a few of these Beatitudes where people are receiving something. They're inheriting something. They're inheriting the kingdom of heaven. They're inheriting the kingdom of earth. Or theirs is the kingdom of heaven, I should say. This is one of those. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And kind of talking about Christ's condescension and his dawning of humanity, descending from his heavenly abode to walk in an earthly ministry, one of the chief qualities that you see through his humility is his meekness. Wesley says meekness is tempered zeal. So he says the meek are zealous for the kingdom, right? They're filled with this passion, this rich courage and deep commitment. They're completely given over to it, but they're knowledgeable, they're tempered, they're strength, but it's not wild, unchecked, undisciplined strength. So there's kind of this disciplined passion that's happening there. And you get a sense, if you think of it that way, of the increasing maturity that moves through these beatitudes, right? Conviction over sin, grief over distance and separation between us and God, growing passion for communion with God. But as you mature, it's not this sort of wild, unhinged zeal. It's uh, tempered by knowledge, the spirit, love. I think this one is is especially hard for Americans. <laughs> Meekness and inheritance of the earth. And, you know, honestly, I think it would have been very, all of these are very difficult to hear for us and the original audience. But this one in particular, too, for the original audience would have been very difficult to hear. What do you mean I have to temper my zeal? Yeah. I thought that if we were zealous for the law, the Messiah would come and we would overthrow the Gentile Romans in a bloody final war and inherit the earth that way. So now you're telling me to put a cap on my zeal? This doesn't seem like what I was taught. Self-mastery, you know? So if you think of the bully in middle school, right, who is uh, strong and maybe he's physically bigger than the other kids, but lacks maturity, discipline, love. And so he uses his strength for false ends or for evil ends. Meek here is not weakness. It is an image of those who are strong, but they know what to do with their power. They know how to use it well. They know how to use it rightly. You know, So maybe you could think of the heroes in the Lord of the Rings, an Aragorn type or something, right? Who uh, travels around in a cloak helping hobbits until the time comes when it's time for him to... Uh, you know, right out on the battlefield as the ranger, you know, king that he is. That's the image there. There's strength, but it's strength that knows what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, and doesn't do it prematurely. I thought this one was really interesting coming from Bonhoeffer in his context. Of course, a pastor as Nazi Germany's rising and all those things. Who are seeking to inherit the earth. Yes, who are seeking to inherit the earth by They care the, about the Vaterland. Yeah, all the worldly means, I guess. He frames it in terms of rights. I thought this was interesting. And this is where it grinds against kind of our our sense of Americanism. We have rights 
and what rights we have, we should fight for. And he says this, when reproached, the meek, they hold their peace. When treated with violence, they endure it patiently. When men drive them from presence, they yield their ground. They will not go to law to defend their rights or make a scene when they suffer injustice, nor do they insist on their legal rights. They're determined to leave their rights to God alone. That's very different from what we experience today. So there's not a denial of injustice there, but they're trusting God to be the one who administers justice, right? They're not taking matters into their own hands. Which he does struggle with later. Yeah, right, when he Mm -hmm. tries to assassinate Hitler. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I, I actually okay. I There's missed, that caveat. I missed the half sentence. That was an introduction. There's a footnote to the later yeah. edition, right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Wait. I'm, I didn't miss this. This it begins with this. They renounce their right of their own and live for the sake of Christ. There's a renunciation of what, and maybe to degree deserts, it, instead to live for the glory, for the sake, for the purpose of the kingdom, which is. Yeah, and even even in that instance, when you're talking about someone like Bonhoeffer joining this you know, resistance movement to you know go up against the Nazis, surely he's thinking of himself as doing something in service to his fatherland and the world. You know, so even there, we're not without getting too deep into the questions. You're not looking at someone who has gone unhinged either. No, and there's an intentional wrestling. Yeah, and I don't know that the ethics determination, but I think it's interesting he frames it that way. There's a giving up of defense, which in order to serve, in order to pursue the kingdom of God, and how often, you know, is our framework for pursuing the kingdom of God or pursuing the earth, you know, by might, by right, by political party? On the reversal motif, if we understand earth in this verse to speak of the land and the promise of the land that Israel possessed under the first Jesus, Joshua, in the, in the Old Testament, then, and then place it in their context of living as Rome has occupied the land in the first century. It's not theirs. And you have Jews who are growing very impatient with God's promises and becoming terrorists, essentially the zealots who are seeking to overthrow Roman rule by force, by revolution. And many wanted that to be Jesus's program as well, like Matt has mentioned. And after Jesus's death, you know, in AD 70, the temple is destroyed because of squashing a rebellion that has arisen there. So again, we have a reversal of, so the land is immensely important. You know, it's a sense of identity and security. It attaches to God's promises. It's more than just, you know, I want to have a farm and some dignity that way, but it's an assurance that God, that we are God's people. It's part of his promise to us. And the reversal of, it's not going to be the revolutionaries and the violent who are going to inherit the land. It's going to be the meek and the humble who trust in God and allow God to fight their battles for them instead of taking vengeance into their own hands. And how does Jesus embody that value? By giving himself up, trusting God and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, he declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So his meekness inherits the earth at the end of the gospel. Interestingly, when the devil tempts Jesus, he tempts him with worldly authority 
right? And this is important for the way we talk about our talk about American power, lust after power and things too. The problem isn't the power when Satan tempts Jesus. The problem is how you get it. You get your power by worshiping the devil, which is the thing. Give me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down and worship me. And the temptation for Jesus is, well, I'm working towards getting all the kingdoms of the world anyway. And that's where Matthew ends up. Can I get it by worshiping the devil and avoiding the pain of the cross? This cup, let yeah. it pass from me. Yeah, let mm-hmm. the cup pass from me. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong way to get power. Meekness says, I'm going to endure the vocation and the calling that God has put before me, trusting that his ultimate purposes are for my best. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Drank the uh, cup that was placed. In he front. drank the cup and God raised him from the dead, overturned the unjust verdict of human courts and gave Jesus more than the kingdoms of the world, not only the earth, but all of heaven as well. Yeah, you see the reversal dramatized in the life of Christ acted out. And I thought of while you were talking, we've just come through Passion Week, Holy Week, but who do the crowds ask as release the revolution of a prisoner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When Pilate gives Jesus them the Barabbas. Passover concession. Yeah. They yeah. ask, give us the zealot back. Yeah. You know, we'll have the murderer, the revolutionary back. And Jesus completes his mission by not overthrowing the painfully powers of the world in a revolution, but by dying. Yeah. starting this revolution of love where you see acted out in the early church of starting hospitals and collecting unwanted children and you know just all the works of mercy that just begin to infiltrate Roman society through living in this upside down way. Under severe persecution. Matthew drives that, going back to the Barabbas thing, Matthew drives it home particularly because you know what Barabbas' name is in Matthew's gospel? Jesus Barabbas, right? You got two Jesuses sitting before you. One is a revolutionary, and one is the one who says, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. The power players pick the revolutionary, and they kill Jesus, the Messiah. And at the end of the gospel, he's raised, he conquers death, and he inherits all all things. The The meek one who offers his life for the life of the world inherits the world. To some... You could say, or to summarize, you could say that the meek are loyal to God and God in return are loyal to them in fulfilling all the promises that he has made through his son. It's helpful too, by not over-spiritualizing these kinds of things, you have a very earthy view of salvation, right? They don't inherit a disembodied spirit in heaven or something like that. They get the land, they get the earth. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Well, weren't most of the guys in the crowd, Pharisees, scribes, were they not hungering and thirsting for righteousness? And were they being satisfied? What sort of righteousness might they have (laughs) hungered for? We're going to come to this later in the sermon when Jesus says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, which is a puzzling, a puzzling statement maybe. So, this is a passage that, has, that I've found, this beatitude in particularly has one that I've found to be deeply comforting in the promise, on the promise side of it, mm-hmm. right? The longer you walk with Jesus, the more deeply and more clearly you see your shortcomings. Mm-hmm. You know, I've said before, some of the holiest men I know are the ones who know their sin most well. They know the places where the Lord needs to work mm-hmm. and they long for him to work. 
this verse says he's going to do the job. You hunger for it. You strive, not in a sense of earning something, but in you know just this passionate longing after a life that honors God. God says, I'm going to fill that longing on your behalf. As a guarantee. Yeah, I this, promise. This shall happen. Yeah. yeah. They will be filled. Yeah, I think that the Jesus is appealing to it as hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not blessed are those who are perfectly righteous, but hunger who long, you know, and it speaks to our, Jesus is speaking to true appetites, not simply what comes with righteousness, but long for God's goodness, long for the reign of the king, long for God's law. Yeah, so the folks Jesus criticizes about, you know, Pharisees and their righteousness. I mean, there's righteousness for righteousness sake in that instance, you know, so that other people will look and say, wow, look how swell that guy is. You know, he's righteous. There's a, there's somebody. And the, the kind of righteousness Jesus is talking about is not righteousness for righteousness sake. It's righteousness for God's sake. It's God's righteousness. It's, it is connected. It's, it is who God is. And isn't there a desire or hunger and a thirst, we'll say, this desire to see, we won't say it, Jesus said it, this desire to see righteousness with the trajectory towards what began in the resurrection of Christ and what will conclude in his second coming, that being God's righteousness canopying the recreation of him making all things new. So it's not only a, a promise that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness in, in this life, you will, by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, be conformed more to the image of the complete righteous one. But it's also a hope with a trajectory that God's righteousness will one day reign supreme in the universe, that there isn't going to be sin and death and destruction or wars and murder and strife and poverty and hunger and famine and, and injustice and evil and immorality and all these things are going to go away. You shall be satisfied if you desire to see those things gone, because that means God's righteousness is reigning across the entire universe. So it, it's not a maybe this will happen, or maybe if we get enough people, this is a promise, a guarantee that these things will happen. And, you know, the gospel does not promise or guarantee many things, right? It, it doesn't promise and guarantee you're going to have a wealthy or a uh, material prosperous life. It doesn't promise that you're going to have a perfect marriage, or it's a perfect family, or a perfect career track. But there is one thing it does promise, that this righteousness, if you seek after it and you desire it, you will receive it. And so shouldn't this be, for a believer, one of the primary things that we hunger and thirst for and desire to see, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us and, and in the cosmos in general? Mm-hmm.